We are on Yevamo, Sid Aleph, Omer Aleph, 11A2 in the Art Scroll Gemara. We are now moving on to a new case. The Gemara now is going to be discussing four new cases which will impact the laws of Yibam and Chalitza, both uh, for the person that we're discussing and also for various co-wives. And these are four cases that are, are very different from our Mishnah. The Mishnah was discussing cases of, of relatives and that the reason why there's no even with Chalitza is because they're related. Besides for being a sister-in-law, they're related in some other way. These four cases are really, are very different. And we'll discuss one case, uh, we'll begin to discuss the first case today. And so the case that we're going to discuss is what happens if the sister-in-law committed adultery while married to the husband. Before the, before the husband passed away without any children, she committed adultery. She's an adulteress. And how does that impact the whole Yivam situation? So we just have to give a little bit of an introduction before we go into the Gemara. The Gemara is going to be discussing three different cases of an adulteress or a potential adulteress. And so we're going to go through the three cases and the law for, the, for these three cases. And then afterwards we'll see in the Gemara how that impacts the laws of Yibum and Chalitza in terms of whether or not we do Yibum. And chalitza, or do we not do even or chalitza? Uh, so let's go through the three cases, and we'll we'll go by them. We'll go through them in the order in which they appear in the Gemara. The Gemara refers to it as a sota. It's referred to as a sota, the adulteress, and the, the term sota here in the Gemara is referring to really all three of these cases. Could be could be referred to as a sota. It's referring to an adulteress. And the first case is where we know with certainty. Uh, we have two witnesses, let's say, that she committed adultery. So in a case where we know with certainty that a, a wife committed adultery, the law is is that it's forbidden, it is a violation certainly of a positive commandment and according to most also of a, an additional negative commandment uh, to, uh, to stay with her original husband. There is that you. It's it's uh, it's a violation to it's a prohibition to stay with your uh, current husband, and we it doesn't uh, uproot the marriage by itself. It requires a divorce document. You would have to get a divorce document, and so she's prohibited to be with uh, with her her current husband. Just parenthetically, it doesn't really impact our Gemara, but at the same time, she's both. It's forbidden for her to be with her current husband, and it's also forbidden for her uh, to uh, to marry or to be with. Uh, the person that she committed adultery with. So the man that she committed adultery with, it's also forbidden for her uh, to then go ahead and be with him and marry him. So that would be that would be also a prohibition, but that doesn't really impact our Gemara. That is case number one, where we know with certainty that it happened. And it was, it was done willingly. Uh, all these cases is where it's done willingly. The second case is where she's an adulteress, but it wasn't really done willingly. What do I mean that it wasn't done willingly? It's really, it's the following case. It's a very, it's a tragic case where, let's say the uh, the husband is, he, he went away for a certain time period and he never came back. And so we don't know whether he's alive or not. Uh, and so this is really a discussion which is going to take place at the end of end of the Masefta. The whole, the last chapter really just discusses these cases. How do we, how do we prove, can we prove that some, that the husband passed away in order to allow the wife to remarry? So the law is that even though in general we require two witnesses to, to state something in court, we require two witnesses as a fact, 
certainly in order for her to, for in terms of issues of marriage, we require two witnesses. But because we very much uh, want her to remarry and we care about that, so we were leaning to say that we, we can rely on one witness. If we have one witness who said that uh, he saw that he was in that country that, that the husband was in and he saw that he passed away, or unfortunately this came up also during 9-11 uh, when we didn't have conclusive evidence if there was somebody in the building. Uh, so it's, uh, these are all the discussions that we're going we're gonna to discuss uh, at, towards the end of this tractate. Very interesting discussions. Tragic, but also interesting dis- discussions about how do we prove or not. So one witness is, is good enough, even though in general we require two, one witness is good enough to prove that the husband passed away in order to allow uh, his wife to remarry. And that's what happened. But the Gemara adds one more point. Uh, later on, we'll see this later on in the tractate, that the only reason why we trust that one witness is because the wife will only remarry, she'll only remarry if she actually looked into it. She tried her best to look into it to see that her husband really passed away, in addition to the one witness. So the two combined will allow us to, will, will, the basin will then allow her to remarry. And that's what happened. She remarried and she married somebody else. And then the husband, unfortunately, the husband then comes back. The first husband comes back. And so she's unwillingly, she's viewed as an adulteress because she was really the entire time married to her first husband. And then she went ahead and had a whole new family. So the law is, this is the law, and then we'll see how this impacts Yibam in a minute, but the law is that she, she certainly has to leave her, the second husband, because that's, not, she's not really even viewed as married to that second husband, because she's still married to the first husband. Uh, the first husband never died. So she definitely has to leave that marriage. And we say as, in order to create an incentive to make sure that she really checks on her own, so we tell her from the get-go, we tell her from the very beginning that you should know that if your husband comes back, you're gonna have, certainly you're going to have to leave your second husband. But we're also going to tell you that you have to, even though you're going to have to uh, get divorced by, from your first husband. Even though by the letter of the law, by Torah law, you do not have to get divorced from your first husband because this is not your typical case of an adulteress willingly, uh, um, willingly uh, going against her husband and uh, having an affair. That's not the case that we're dealing with. So by the letter of the Torah, by Torah law, she's allowed to stay with her first husband. But the rabbis added and said that we're going to be lenient here. We want to be lenient because we only have one witness. But we're only going to be lenient if we make sure that she really looks into it. We want her to be confident. And so we'll tell her from the very beginning, you should know from the very beginning that you could, that if your husband does come back, that you have to get divorced from both. Not because you, you have to really get divorced from your original husband. By Torah law, you don't have to, but... In order for her to realize how how serious this has to be, how confident she has to be that her her husband is no longer alive, uh, so therefore we tell her from the very beginning that you should know that if your husband comes back, then you would have to get uh, you would have to get divorced. So that's case number two. So case number two again is where she didn't realize she thought her husband passed away from one witness and from her own own research, and ends up that he comes back. So the law is that she has to get divorced from both, but again from her original husband. That's just a, a rabbinic law that you would have to get divorced. Case number three. Case number three that the Gemara is going to discuss is where we're not really sure if she committed adultery. We have, uh, we're suspicious, we're concerned that she committed adultery, but we're, we're, not, we're not really sure if she committed adultery. What's the case? The case is, the Torah describes this case as well. Uh, the case is where the husband uh, was concerned that she was committing adultery. And so he warned her, and he said 
that uh, you shouldn't be secluded with the, this specific individual, that he, he thought that she was committing adultery with this individual. And so he said that, uh, that I don't want you to be secluded uh, alone with this individual. And she, she goes against uh, his warning, and she is, she's alone with this individual. Now, do, do we have any witnesses? Did they see that they actually uh, had an affair? We don't know. We don't know. It's a question. It's a question. We don't know. Uh, but we're concerned. And so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the third case where we're concerned. And in this case that we're concerned, the Torah tells us, this is by Torah law, the Torah tells us because she went against uh, her husband's warning and she was alone with, uh, with uh, that, that, the, the man that, they were, uh, that the husband was concerned about, so they, therefore they have to get divorced. They would have to, uh, they would have to get divorced uh, because she went against... Uh, his warning. Okay, so that is case number three. These are all different cases of either an actual adulteress or the potential for it or not knowing, not knowingly being an adulteress. Uh, and so the question is, what, what's, what happens in terms of Yibam and Chalitza in such a scenario? Why is this a question? Because the cases where she commits adultery, any of these three cases, uh, she, she commits adultery or suspected or it's not commits, she didn't know about it, uh, and, and in any of these three cases, for all these three cases, she's really supposed to get divorced. But the husband passes away before he's able to give her a divorce document. Uh, so they didn't actually get divorced yet, and he passes away without any children. So the question is, since they were supposed to get divorced, so there is there even Yibam or Chalitza to discuss here? Do we even have Yibam or Chalitza uh, in this case? Uh, that's that's uh, part of the discussion. And so let's read the Gemara now. Uh, to get into it. Amar Yehuda Marav. Rav says, The first case. The first case is where we know. We know that uh, we have two witnesses to tell us that she had an affair and that she's forbidden to her husband. The husband passes away without any children. That not only is she exempt from Yibam or Chalitza, but even the co-wives. The co-wives are also exempt. Why the co-wives exempt? What does this have to do with the co-wives? In our Mishnah, we discussed the co-wives, but that was all in the context specifically of... of uh, of uh, family relationships, that if you had a certain family relationship with one of the sisters-in-law, that she was also your daughter, so then that exempts the co-wives. But why should we say here that it exempts the co-wives? So the Gemara says, Because the language of the Torah that it uses with regards to uh, an adulterer, that we say that they're not allowed to remain married to each other, they use the word tumah, uh, defilement, which is also the word that's used when it comes to arayos, when it comes to uh, these forbidden relationships within uh, within the family. So use the same word to reflect upon what type of relationship is this. And so the relationship that it would exist if you were to remain with your husband is a form of tumah, it's a form of defilement, which is also the word that's used for uh, forbidden family relationships. Uh, so therefore, we connect the two to say that also the co-wife, in such a case, the co-wife would also be exempt, completely exempt from yibum or chalitza, yibum and chalitza. So the Gemara now is going to question this ruling based on the two other cases that we discussed before. So the Gemara says, why is this true? Mesa Rav Chista, Rav Chista asks, says, I don't understand. Rav Shimon Omer, Biyaso Chilatza Me'achav Shal Rishon Poteres Tsarasa. So we are, we're discussing now uh, case number two. So case number two was the case where she didn't know that she was committing adultery. She thought her husband passed away. She went, around, she went and she married somebody else. And then the husband comes back. So the law is that she has to get divorced both from the second husband, and the second husband's clear because she was never married to the second husband, 
and she has to get divorced from the first husband, and that's really a way to make sure that she realizes that the, the consequences, and she's really going to look into it before she gets married. Um, but really, that's that's a rabbinic law. That's not a biblical law. So, in that scenario, what happens if the if the first husband passes away before he's able to give her a get, to give her a divorce document? So now, does the brother could the brother do chalitza or yibum to her? So that is a, that is a machlokas. That is a dispute whether or not the the brother could do yibum or chalitza to uh, this woman. The rabbanon. The rabbis, the majority, say that you should do chalitza, because again, this is only a rabbinic obligation to get divorced by a biblical law. They were they were married and they could remain married, uh, so you have to do something. Most hold that you should do chalitza to her, that, that you should do chalitza with her. Rabbi Shimon says that you're even allowed to do yibum. You're even allowed to do yibum. The brother could go ahead and marry her uh, to do to have yibum with her, even though the, the there's a rabbinic decree that the husband has to would have to divorce her but that's only the husband if the husband were to pass away so then we let the according to Rabbi Shimon we would let the brother go and marry her to do Yibam to, to do Yibam with her and Rabbi Shimon even says that once you do Yibam so then it exempts the co-wife so it seems to me that everyone agrees the question that's being asked is that everyone agrees whether you hold like Rabbi Shimon whether you hold like the other opinion that we only do Chalitza but when it comes to the co-wife everyone agrees that that dispute is only with regards to the woman herself who went ahead and married and went into uh, married somebody else. But for any of the co-wives, it seems pretty clear that the co-wives, you would be able to do yibum or chalitza. It sounds like you could do yibum or chalitza. So why is it, asks the Gemara, why is it that in this case where she com- committed adultery uh, without, without knowing about it, uh, and she didn't know about it, so we say that the co-wife, could, you could do yibum there is an obligation to do yibum or chalitza with the co-wife. Uh, however, when she actually commits adultery, knowingly commits adultery, we say that uh, there is no mitzvah of yibum or chalitza even for the co-wife. Why would we differentiate between the two cases? And so, the answer is a fairly obvious answer. Rav, Rav says, There's a clear difference between these first two cases. The first case is where she does it willingly. By Torah law, they have to get divorced. The second case is, by Torah law, they can remain married. It's a rabbinic law that we say that they have to get divorced. So it's, it's pretty obvious. The reason why you, it, you, you, we allow you to do Yibam or Chalitza to the co-wife, certainly, everyone agrees that with regards to the co-wife, you should do Yibam or Chalitza. The, the reason for that is because they're really legally married. By Torah law, they're legally married. So it, it should be obvious. It's only a rabbinic decree. So the fact that Gemara even asks, what, what were we thinking to compare the two cases? There's no comparison between, between these two cases. So the Gemara asks, the Karila my Karila. What, what were we thinking originally? So the Gemara answers, Kasavar kol tikun derabanan ke'in deraisa tikun. The Gemara answers that uh, whenever we, there's a rule that if there's a rabbinic law, a rabbinic decree, such as this rabbinic decree to say that you have to get divorced from the first husband in the case where you you thought your husband passed away and you married a second uh, a second husband, and so we say that you the 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 result is that you would have to get divorced from your first husband as well. That we would think that there's a rabbinic decree to tell you that. That just like whenever we make a rabbinic decree, it's it's parallel to the biblical law. Just like in a biblical law, i.e., when she would, were to commit adultery willingly, uh, we say that there's no mitzvah of yibum and chalitza even for the co-wife. So then, the rabbinic law should be that we would not allow for yibum with even with the co-wife. You still have to do chalitza. As an aside, you have to do chalitza because on a biblical level, there still is some connection that requires something. Uh, but we would not allow yibum. 
We would not allow Yibam because uh, the rabbinic law would, would parallel the biblical law. And since in the biblical law, the, the law is that you can't do Yibam to the co-wife, so, so too the rabbinic law should be that you can't do Yibam uh, with the co-wife. The conclusion is not that way. The conclusion is not that way. That really, uh, for the co-wife, you could do Yibam or Chalitza. We don't, say, we don't apply this principle in this case. Uh, and again, when it comes to, just to review, for the first law, with regards to if you do it willingly, if you willingly, if the sister-in-law willingly commits adultery before her husband passes away, so then we say that there's no mitzvah of Yibam or Chalitza, whether it's to her or whether it's to the co-wife. If it's this uh, situation where she went and married a second husband thinking that her husband, her first husband passed away, uh, so then the law ends up being that you could do Yibam or Chalitza to the co-wife with regards to her herself, uh, so then, that is a machlokas. That's a dispute as to whether or not you could do yibam. Certainly, you could do chalitza, but there's a dispute whether or not you could do yibam in that case. So that's case number two. Let's conclude with case number three. Case number three is Masav Ravashi. Ravashi asks, What happens if you have a case where it's what we call suffix sota, where we are not sure whether or not she committed uh, adultery? We know that she went against her husband. Her husband said, don't be with this person, don't be secluded with this person. And she went against her husband. There are witnesses for that. But we don't know whether or not she actually committed adultery. So the law is, she's forbidden to go back to her husband. In addition to that, she's also, a separate fact, is that she's not allowed to eat truma. She's not allowed to eat truma anymore. But there's a third, uh, the third Allah of a mace, truma, just going back to truma, truma is uh, the special food that's given to the Kohen. And so she's not allowed to have that. And the third law is The law is that we do chalitza. So in that case where we're not sure, we do uh, we do chalitza. And that's what and that's what the Gemara answers. The Gemara is asking, why is it that when we know for sure that she committed adultery, we don't do anything? She's completely exempt because since she has to get divorced, she's completely uh, exempt from yibum or chalitza. And the koives are also completely exempt from yibum or chalitza. If she did it, if we know that she committed adultery willingly, why is that different than case number three? Case number three is a case where uh, we're not sure whether or not she committed adultery. We know that we have reason to suspect that she did because she, we've, we found her that she was secluded with this person. Uh, but, but we don't know with certainty. And so the law is that you have to do chalitza, that there is some sort of connection, so therefore it requires chalitza, this divorce process, but you are not allowed to do yibam. You cannot uh, get married to her. So why can't you get married to her? I mean, why? Sorry, why can't? Why is there even chalitza? Why is there even chalitza? If in the case of where we know for sure that she committed adultery, there's no chalitza. Why in this case is there no chalitza? And the answer is Am Rav. Rav says same thing. There's a clear distinction. Amin alacha ana sota vadev amar li at sota suffik. So he responds back by saying that I don't understand. Uh, we're discussing two very different cases. We're discussing a case of where one's uh, we know for sure that they committed adultery. And in that case, we don't do Yibam or Chalitza. There's no connection whatsoever to the brothers-in-law. There's no requirement to do anything. When it's just, we're, we suspect that she did Yibam, that we suspect that she committed adultery. We don't know with certainty. And so therefore, there is still a connection. There's still a connection with the brother-in-law. And once there's that connection with the brother-in-law, we say, you can't, get, you can't do Yibam. You can't get married to her uh, because we, we still suspect that she committed adultery, but still do Chalitza. It makes sense to still do Chalitza in order to get out of this connection. Uh, the Gemara then is going to ask a question on on this distinction, but that will leave for the next recording. We'll discuss. We'll continue the discussion in the next recording.